Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movie by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm the host of the Locked On MLB podcast in the Movie by Minute world. I am known for being the host of Bold Durham Minute. On today's episode, we're going to be breaking down Minute 125, which begins with Al telling Millie that he is too old and decrepit to want anybody, and ends with Millie running down a laundry list of the low points of their marriage. Well, someone I cannot run down the bad points of my relationship with is someone who I have shared many, many things with. We've worked on television programs together. We've worked on films together. We've worked on live shows together. We've even shared parents. My guest today is a brilliant Emmy-nominated writer of such shows as Revenge, Riverdale, Star Trek Discovery, Supergirl, and As the World Turns, but I like to think of him as my brother, Ted Sullivan. Welcome to the Best Years Podcast, Ted. Thank you very much for having me. <clears throat> I have to clarify one point. I am a daytime Emmy nominee, yeah. not an Emmy nominee. Well, I got news for you. This shows you maybe how petty I am. I am also an Emmy nominee, and I do not put any qualifiers on it. I am a local branch nominee i was nominated for my tv work in local tv in san francisco and i flaunt that nomination as if i was the showrunner for the wire okay <laughs> it doesn't matter to me that it is san francisco branch to me it is still an emmy nomination and by the way this just shows you my brother ted one of the reasons why he has skyrocketed through hollywood is that sense of self-promotion there are people who are on this podcast who have never been on tv never come within a thousand yards of tv this is their biggest credit i'm building you up and the first thing you have to do is take yourself down at the legs why do right. you do that this is actually no longer a podcast this is an intervention with my brother <laughs> You're witnessing this. This is this is half a century building up to us talking about best years it of is, our lives. It is half a century, but yes, I'm excited to talk. And this is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. I think it is one of the most honest scenes. It's actually one of the most surprising scenes, and I think it is what it it, it basically encapsulates what I love about this movie so much. Is every time you think it's going to go Hollywood every time you think it's going to just play into the soap opera aspects of it, it actually plays into the real life drama of it, that they under they undercut the soapiness by admitting life is messy and by admitting marriages are messy and by admitting that we're living in a world in a post-World War II where you have to look at things more realistically and honestly. And, and it's hard to live in the fantasy. And it's such a beautiful, a beautiful sentiment. It's beautifully written. It's perfectly acted by all three of them. And it's really, really well shot. Oh yeah, and, and, and we're gonna break down some of the elements here as Teresa Wright is breaking down and basically saying that her mom and dad 
it had a perfect marriage that nothing ever, ever went wrong. And Frederick March, who I'm going to talk about a little more in detail in a later episode, why I think he is such an extraordinarily underrated figure in Hollywood history for a two-time Academy Award winner to be an underrated figure in Hollywood history is saying something, but I completely believe he is. And in this scene, he could have chosen 58 different acting decisions and he always picked the one that is real and it's not always pretty it's not always warm and fuzzy in some way and in this one as Teresa Wright is crying her life is falling apart she's talked about breaking the marriage apart and everything like that and there's a absolutely beautiful moment in this whole scene where she wants to relate to her parents but she feels like there's a sense of disconnect here and it's shown visually and not in a show-offy way when frederick mark sits a little ticked off and he looks over to myrna loy and says you hear that i'm too old and decrepit (laughs) he walks over to her and so now the two of them are alone in the frame and she's not in the frame it's a separation it's almost like He's finding his ally over there. And in this scene, there's a tension which is pulling at the fabric of this close relationship that they have. And you're seeing that by him moving her out of the frame. And it's Greg Tolan and William Wyler doing it with a camera and Frederick March and Myrna Loy and Teresa Wright doing it with their performances. Yeah, and, and Myrna Loy, he crosses to her and then she she takes his hand mm-hmm. and it's a very intimate moment. Yeah. And by taking his hand, I mean, the, these are just two actors that are just working on at the top of their game right here. Um, you, you get a, you get a real sense of they're going to, they're there for each other, but they're not going to sugarcoat anything because the relationship that Teresa Wright has with Dana Andrews' character is actually tearing the family apart. Right. And they had such a tight, close relationship. Earlier in the movie, uh, Frederick March tells Dana Andrews, we have a we have a relationship where we tell each other. Things. No, that's a, that's that's in the Butch's bar. That's oh, in the scene afterwards. The Butch's bar, yes. The, yeah, that's the scene, scene afterwards. afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the problem with me like looking at minutes of movies as opposed to an entire movie <laughs> it's fine it's fine i'm i'm uh, more of a veteran of this and by the way i'm sorry i didn't invite you to be on bull durham minute but i know you couldn't give a rat's ass about that film i i, I really don't but this one i this one i actually love because of how honest it is and because of the love that exists in this family and myrna loy and frederick march they are stronger as a couple by admitting that they've hated each other. I mean, yeah. she literally says, how many times have, have I said I hate you and meant it? Yeah, the, the, and meant it. That's the, line, that's the line that really drives it home. But I want to just get to two quick details here. There's, you're right, that she, even though this is a you know a tense moment, she looks at them, they, they look at each other with a, with a moment not of smiling, but of connection. She takes his hand. They both look back and... Myrna Loy asks, you know, does she, do you mean that? And they cut to her by herself. So now yep. we've seen, okay, there is a rift. He's moved back over to his wife and she's alone. 
and she's really upset and she kind of sees looks up at them and realizes the weight of it and then when she collapses on the bed it becomes a three shot yeah so it becomes she's on her own no i'm not i'm still part of the family i'm still here even though it's hard i'm still here and so yeah and myrna loy and frederick march are exactly they're on the same page we're seeing them from behind they are a unified couple at this point and they're they know that in order to get through to her in order to also erase some of the confusion and pain that she that their daughter is feeling right now they have to go all in on honesty yeah and and yeah and i just love i just love the choices of the writing i love the choices of the direction even the framing of them in that three shot Teresa Wright is down in the right-hand corner. The two of them create this kind of wall of support on the other side. It, mm -hmm. It's it's just it's such a really smart use of the frame. I love when people Kurosawa and Kubrick are obviously geniuses at that, but this but this movie does this very very well, where you just are using the frame to paint a picture. The director who I remember watching his films when I was at NYU, I want to brag, but I went to New York University Film School, was Ozu. And Ozu, who made yeah. Tokyo Story, uh, early summer, late autumn, he made a film called Equinox Flower that I really loved. This is almost like an Ozu scene mm -hmm. in that there was a lot of things that he did that was not very show off. I think the Tokyo story, I don't think there's a camera move in the entire movie, if I remember correctly. Uh, but he had things working and operating within the frame, the ways people moved within the frame, where people stood in the frame. There's no one shot in an Ozu film on its own. They say, oh my God, that's a beautiful shot. But in the context of telling the story, characters walk in and out where they're framed. It's everything is done with intense care. And you take a look at this film, which is directed by William Wyler, who made a massive epic in Ben-Hur later in his career, where there are beautiful shots and chariots and all that crap. And it's shot by uh, Toland, who shot Citizen Kane and Grapes of Wrath, which has all sorts of incredibly showy shots, both of those films. do. And this is as beautiful as any shot in those movies because of the context, because of the characters, and because of as I said, the framing and the positioning. And it, is, it, it reminded me of Ozu in that way. Yeah, I think Ozu is a, a good example. I think also this, I, I recently rewatched my favorite, one of my favorite Kurosawa movies, High and Low. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's not a super showy look. It may, most of the movie takes place in one room. It is literally just about how people are positioned in the frame and how they move in the frame and when they step out of the frame when they step back into it this movie is not nearly as as glamorous or rich a looking movie as something like citizen kane or magnificent ambersons but i think that's the point right and i i think the restraint on things in this movie of not showy camera movements, not a lot of editing. The editing in this movie is very specific. There's mm -hmm. a cut when, when, as you said, when you when you cut to Teresa Wright, 
that's a that's a jarring cut because you want to knock your audience back a little bit to see her standing alone and then as you said becomes a three shot those things make for a dynamic visual without it being in your face right um, and i think ozu and 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 high and low are are two movies that i think probably took stuff from this movie in, in the sense of how, how do you how do you frame the the shot how do you let the actors tell the story or help the actors tell the story by moving them within the frame and and i think what what i love about this movie too is there are longer takes and it's because you have especially like in this scene you have a trio of actors i mean Teresa wright didn't do a lot of stuff well but, she did she was great in i mean yeah in exactly. the and everything. yeah she's she's, yeah. she's very good she's fantastic um, Myrna Loy, I mean, I'm a huge fan of The Thin Man. And, and in a later episode, we're, uh, I talk about my love of Frederick March and not just this film, but in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and in the original Star is Born. And, well, but also Frederick March. I mean, Frederick March did uh, movies like Seven Days in May, which is just a phenomenal movie. I've and actually he, never seen that. I've never seen Seven is, Days in May. Never seen abs- that. It's a Frankenheimer movie. It mm-hmm. is incredibly tense really exciting and he is fantastic in that he's fantastic in inherit the wind i mean he's just on oh, right, level right, yeah. Yeah. you know he just he, he he has no compunction about like going there making himself look foolish being the butt of the joke but also finding dignity in in the various roles that he plays even when his character is weak, like in Seven Days in May, he's the president of the United States, but like the lowest ranking president ever, like in public opinion polls. And he's he's just he's he's just a mess. But he also is a good man. And 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 he, Frederick March is not afraid to show the the frayed stitches of his characters. He he is absolutely he he understands. You identify with a character who has flaws, who is afraid, who is confused. I mean, he's he's the befuddled dad in this a lot of the time. And he's he's trying to figure out what it, what was I over there doing uh, as I'm trying to make sense of this new post-war world. Yeah. And and he's he's the he's the fulcrum for this movie in in my opinion on on why he uh, on why it's it's incredibly um uh attain like you you can it, you can lock into this movie because you understand and appreciate the um, what the characters are, are wrestling with and you facing. Talk, yeah. You talk about his fearlessness as an actor. I mean, the way he played Mr. Hyde in, uh, and I, I'm mm-hmm. constantly gush over his Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is a film I absolutely love. I think it's actually underrated and so glad it happened in an era before uh really intrusive music scoring because they use silence so well in the film mm-hmm. but that he goes just what he does with Hyde he does not make it a werewolf film he makes him uh, he's unleashing anger he's unleashing sexuality he's unleashing mm-hmm. just rage in a way that is completely fearless and if you look at what he does in the original Star is Born uh, when I mean for those who've seen the the more recent the Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga version the scene where Bradley Cooper staggers into the uh, 
I guess it's the Grammy Awards or the you know, oh yeah yeah yeah. But that the original version of that is Frederick March st staggering into the Oscars drunk and interrupting the the uh, the acceptance speech, and he does it fearlessly, absolutely fearlessly. And what we see in this scene is we're seeing a father who is trying to maintain control and not really afraid to play it where he feels like he's losing. Right. And and also, we, we haven't really talked that much about Myrna Loy yet. Mm -hmm. um, she's one of my favorite actresses. Um, I love the portrayal of the women in this movie. They're mm -hmm. very smart. They're very strong. They had to be. They were at home <laughs> holding up the home front while uh, the other male characters were over in the war fighting the war. So they both had equally important jobs. And Myrna Loy plays this with truth and honesty. You can see that <clears throat> she's be she knows that she's about to say some things that are that could be construed as not ladylike <laughs> to to air some dirty laundry, but it is done with love. Like that they make there's a look that they give to each other, which is basically saying, I guess it's time that we really give her the truth right now. <laughs> yeah. Marriage is hard. <laughs> and and the, the little smile they give though is a little bit of, yeah, I guess uh it's almost like the moment where they're telling her there's no Santa Claus. It's like exactly. you yes. know, oh boy. Yeah. Well I guess we did a good job covering this up because but if they if they actually listened in. It's funny that this they share the sweet smile and look at each other that you would expect in a scene of two people renewing their vows. And she has no hesitation listing right. off all the terrible moments they had together. The sort of the flow throwing Andy Cap out of the house moments that they've had over the years. Uh, I'm going to guess this is the first Andy Cap reference on the best years minute by the way you i never knew that his name was a pun that it was he was always going to the races and seeing the horses handicap uh, just I, in case you couldn't hate handicap anymore i was literally just gonna say i didn't think that i could hate that comic strip more no um what what i what i also love about this scene and how it's informed by the entire movie Think about what this movie is doing. It you're is you're saying exactly what I was about to say. Please say it because you're going to say it better than I have on my notes. Please go well, ahead and say it. Well, well it's saying that, I, I don't know if I'm going to say what you're going to say, but to me, what it's saying is marriage is hard. This isn't the fantasy that we're being told in movies. In the same way, war is hard and war changes people. And, and, it's not what you saw in the movies. It's not Bataan and Wake Island and Guadalcanal Diaries. It's not John Wayne. It's not any of that stuff. It's much messier, much more complicated. And that, that change and that honesty in this movie is not just infused in the war stuff. It's infused in the home front stuff, the marriage stuff, the the fatherhood stuff, the the, the, the motherhood stuff, the husband and wife. And it's, it, it's really a bold and brave choice 
to undermine the entire, let's say, 20 plus years of Hollywood at that time that was selling this fantasy that they're saying this isn't what it was at all. Well, and I think, yeah, I th you, you, you hit a bunch of things I was going to say. I think in even a more distilled way, the thing that you see Teresa Wright starting to cry about if nothing else, it was the realization is there's no such thing as they lived happily ever yes. after. Yes, that's and that exactly met, right. And that was for the country as well. We were drawn into a war against pure evil and we succeeded and we came back victorious and America lived happily ever after. Right. This film is all about taking away the notion of there is no happily ever after. And this movie begins where most war movies end, which yeah. is the hero returns. And in Teresa's Wright's mind, marriage meant you were gonna struggle to get into the marriage. But once you get the marriage to the right person, you live happily ever after. And she right. saw her mother and father and of course, it, sh it shows a lot about the love that she has for her mother and father, but she saw them as that's the, the perfection. They never, they never had anything bad after their honeymoon in the south of France. And this realization of, no, actually, it's still work. And it's sometimes still awful. And... I mean, I think the Hayes Code was around this point. Like, you couldn't even bring up divorce or anything like that. I mean, I don't, I don't know what all the rules were at this point. But this notion of no, that's that's a mirage as well. The 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 symbols of victory of we won the war. There was a thriving middle class. There was you were going home to the to a home and a family who loves you that you were fighting for and da 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 da, da. and the idea that th those weren't perfect and now we're getting down to the very image of love. Every, I mean, all the romantic movies end with them getting married. Ergo, that's the end of the film, and so this is what it's doing for a war film, where it takes uh, we're t we're beginning with the soldiers coming home and show you what happens after that. We're also going to the end of a romantic film and show you what happens after that. Right. And and I, I that look, the look that Teresa Wright gives of the realization that no, it wasn't all happiness with her parents is it's not just a look of sadness. It's also a look of utter confusion and fear. Like, oh, God, what am I getting my what? What do you mean it isn't happily ever after? And right. That's the film, and this is the, this is one minute of the damn movie encapsulates the entire how how long is this three hour movie? It encapsulates the entire three hour movie with this one beautiful scene. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and there's also another subtle thing that Myrna Loy and Frederick Mark do, which is as they're starting to tell the truth about their marriage. They lock eyes. Yeah. They hold. They lock into each other, and they smile at each other. And there is a tremendous amount of love that is coming through their. So that as they're airing their dirty laundry, there's a freedom, and peace that comes from accepting what the reality is, as opposed to 
struggling to maintain the myth or the lie or the fairy tale that when you accept the truth when you when you admit that things aren't the fairy tale it's relax you can actually relax you can breathe and that to me this is a moment that they will look at in the opposite of what they're talking about here that they I, this will be something at the end of their lives they look back on and say, this is one of those moments when we were the happiest and the most in love we ever were because we were on the same page. Do you know what's ironic about this little thing when they're exchanging this? Is it is in terms of romance and marriage, it's them exchanging war stories. Yeah, that's, that, that's exactly right. That's exactly yeah, right. Because when you exchange war stories, you're talking about the horrors of it, but you're trying to find those little moments that you either connect, like when they're talking about this, that, and the other thing, when they're in the, at the beginning and they're, they're exchanging their war story. This is their war stories. Yes. Yeah. And that the bond that they have is now stronger because it wasn't happily ever after. And there's one other thing that this does, just like what you made me think of right now, which is, it puts the sacrifices and war stories of both the women at home and the men who were off at war on the same equal footing. Emotionally, they have, yeah. they, emotionally, they have the same emotional weight. I think there's a reason why this movie is so long, but doesn't feel long, mm -hmm. is that they had to, they, they were following basically three couples. Mm -hmm. Uh, in this story that are having and and it's not just couples we're following six people who have their own points of view their own agency their own uh, skin in the game and at no point do they get a short shrift at no point do they does it does it feel patronizing or or you're never like pat, the men are never patting the women on the head and the, or or the director is never patting the female characters on the head saying like, oh, that's sweet, honey. But the, the men had had it rough. Like they all had it rough and they will continue to have it rough. It's it's just a dynamite. As you said, it's, it's a dynamite scene because it encapsulates the whole story in one scene. Mm -hmm. There's one of my favorite openings to a movie ever is for, in The Color of Money, that first scene where Newman is talking about the whiskey and then- Paul and Newman, Turturro Paul Newman, everyone, not Wayne Knight, Paul Newman. <laughs> yes, uh, and and he he goes, he gets drawn back into the pool world, the hustler world mm -hmm. in one scene. And, and, you and you see him come alive and that's the whole movie. The whole movie's about that. And they tell you that in the first scene. Now there's a struggle push back and forth. And this is the same thing. This is a movie. This scene is the movie, and it's 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 one, and it comes at such a powerful point in the movie too, like where we you need this window into it, and it's wonderful to see the family really love and respect each other, even when their daughter, when 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 Peggy is kind of being a little mean she immediately kind of understood like she she realizes she's being a little mean and a yeah. little irrational and they don't start yelling at each other they 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 figure out what 
what the problem is, how to deal with it, and then they move on. I think it's interesting when they cut back to her. We had we had the shot of her kind of falling on the bed and rejoining the family thematically. But I I think it's interesting that when they and and they they include her in the shot. It's a three shot when she's talking about you don't understand what it's like. It's always been perfect with you two. And they go back to Frederick March and Myrna Loy. They're in the two shot. And then when it goes back to Teresa Wright, when she makes the realization yeah. that uh, it's not happily ever after, she's back to a single shot. Mm-hmm. There's a sense and- of a sense of like the safety net of the parents and the safety net of what she's trying to attain is no longer there. And it's a very lonely emotion and a very scary emotion. And when you're scared, you want you cling to your loved ones, your parents, your family. I know that you and I cling to each other constantly yes. as brothers, as whenever there's a moment, I said, Ted, I need to cling to you. And you said, come cling to me. You're my younger brother and you may always <laughs> cling with me. But I don't know where that went. It's a very weird tangent. <laughs> but, but, but we go back to the whole Ozu telling stories through the framing. I think that's exactly what's happened here with the shot of her by herself at that point that she feels surprised she as i said before she's surprised hurt confused scared and lonely yeah and and by the way it is it's not just a cutaway to her if you if you look at it from the three shot she looks very small and she's tucked away in the corner in the bed like a like a scared girl their scared daughter yeah then you see the two of them they are a united pair and then you cut back to her it's not just a single it's basically a medium shot so we are way closer in on her than we have been in the whole rest of the scene and the reason why you punch in on a on an actor like this is so that you really are drawn into the eyes the face and that's what's happening here so you don't want to be far away. You want to be, you, she is alone and she's overwhelmed and you, and we punch in here. This is the first time we punch into a close-up, And I think that's another example of how thoughtful they were about shot design, but also motivated edits. So I just, it's, I used to be an editor before I was a writer and in a Michael Bay movie, in a, you know, a lot of these types of films, it's just cut, 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 cut. And so the edits don't really have any, any motivation. In this movie, it's, we only get a cut to a new shot when that new shot is telling us a really important piece of new information. And that's what a motivated edit is. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite motivated edit is in Jaws when it's been one long tracking through Brody's office going past everyone. And the first cut is from to the close-up of the uh, form, cause of death, shark attack. That's the only edit in the whole scene because Spielberg wanted us to know in that moment, this is important. And that's what's happening here. It's not as showy and, it, and your brain doesn't really register it consciously, but you feel it emotionally. 
And in this moment, you just slam in close to her. It's jarring again because you're going from a wider two shot to a, to a close up. And that's not normally what you would do, but you do it to knock your audience on their heels and to make us identify with her emotional distress. Well, let me tell you something. Having you on this podcast has given me no emotional distress. <laughs> And uh, I'm the king of the transitions. That's why when Jim O'Kane wanted me on the podcast, I said, Jim, why are you giving me these episodes? He says, because you are the king of transitions. <laughs> um, but you are my brother, Ted. Where can people find you in the world of social media? I'm no longer on Twitter, but I am on Instagram. So you can find me Carter Hall on Instagram, which is K-A-R-T-E-R-H-O-L. That's right. And my brother, Ted, is going to be coming back for a couple episodes. We have a guest coming on and where we're bringing aboard Mr. Tim Decay from the TV show White Collar is going to be joining. So there's going to be three voices are going to be talking about this because he's a huge fan of the film as well. Now, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us at the Butch's Place, the Best Years of Our Lives Listener Cafe on Facebook and on Twitter at The Best Minutes. We are still on those sites, even though my brother is not. You can listen to The Best Minutes podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or at the main site, which is thebestminutes.com. And remember, there are over 170 other Movies by Minute podcasts, including Bull Durham Minute, hosted by me, including uh, Indiana Jones Minute, tip our hats to the fellas over at Star Wars Minutes who really started this whole crazy thing. Tierney and Doris and Rachel Mummer, I think, are all working on the new American Graffiti. Uh, there's so many great ones. It's so much fun. And check them all out at moviesbyminute.com. Chances are your favorite movie has already been broken down. So everyone, thanks for listening. My brother Ted will be back for the next episode. And be sure to join us here next time on the Best Minutes Podcast. Hey, Joe. You better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.